1: What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Masters of Modern Podcast. I am filling in for the great Alex Kessler and in the lead podcaster seat. He's out this week. Uh, Big congratulations to our man, Alex, for his first child. It's big stuff. It's very exciting. I saw him literally on a TikTok live stream holding his baby earlier talking about magic. So the man doesn't rest. He doesn't rest. Um, But uh, normally in the other seat is me. But today I have Mason Clark. How are you, my friend? I'm doing good. I'm excited to be on. You
0: know, I came on the show back around Vegas time. I'm happy to be back and talking about one of the, the coolest formats that Magic
1: has right now, with Pioneer. You know, we all love modern, but Pioneer
0: is pretty dope. So it's an exciting to talk about.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot to say. I uh, definitely a lot of cool stuff to cover there. I have plenty of questions for you. I find Pioneer to be in a very interesting position right now, reminiscent of where modern was in 2011 when we first started playing. It, it feels like uh, things have come full circle. And there are a lot of similarities there, so it'll be it'll be great to kind of pick your brain a little bit about that. For everybody here who is watching and listening to the show, who is part of our Patreon, we really appreciate that, patreon.com slash the MMCast. Um, you guys are one of the biggest reasons why the show is able to continue going on, and, and we really appreciate your support. So the other thing I wanted to give a quick shout-out to was uh, we have a partnership running with Alter sleeves you guys can find all of the description information below and we have a really great promotion going with this guys. so so use that affiliate link and you guys can get special sweet perks uh going there but um anyway let's let's talk magic normally there's like a pre-show where alex and i talk movies for like 25 minutes for patrons uh so we got to kind of get to warm up into things but i think we're just going to fire straight out of the cannon here and start talking start talking magic so i guess the first question i have for you and, and maybe so people understand who haven't watched or listened to an episode with you on uh, you've got some magic accolades. You've recently actually done quite well. Maybe talk to us a little bit about you know some of the stuff you've been recently playing in.
0: Yeah, sure. So uh, when I last came on the show a couple months ago, I got ninth in the Heartbreaker at uh, GP Vegas for Modern by point oh three. Yeah. And so uh, listeners might remember me from that. Uh, since then, I have been playing on the energy circuit. I had a couple of kind of closest finishes there. I recently won uh, TCG Con in Louisville about two weeks ago, Modern, um, and just been kind of generally playing that sort of stuff. And I've been really excited to get back into the swing of things, you know, with the Pro Tour back and all that sort of stuff. I'm getting really excited. And it's really led me to I was already starting to jump into Pioneer a good bit, but really dive in and get my teeth in the format and get to know it. And so that's kind of where you get that. You might see me around on stuff like the Constructor Criticism podcast and writing for Card King. Doing that sort of stuff, and formerly on Team Nova when the SCG was around. So that's kind of how you'll know me.
1: Very cool. What were you playing with in, in that modern game, that heartbreaking game? What was it?
0: Uh, I was playing Money Pile for color control. Um, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Cool. And so, yeah, that, that's what I've been doing a bunch of recently. I, I play actually a lot of modern decks. It's funny. I, the first time I played Money Pile since Vegas was TCG Con. I played a bunch of different decks in the interlude, but it just turns out, you know, since we last talked, ending happening it so.
1: That's a good deck. I mean, that's a lot of powerful, a lot of very powerful, expensive cards in that deck. So, yeah, Modern's in a pretty really interesting place there. But so if you had to define the the differences between Pioneer and Modern, in your opinion, when you look at those two formats, what do you think the biggest difference is?
0: It's the Fetchlands. The mana base in Modern are way more tame and way more uh, under control than what we have I'm sorry, in Pioneer than what we have in Modern. In Modern, it is so much about uh, fetch lands and shock lands. And now with Triomes, even a little bit too, as we see with decks like four-color and a lot of three-color decks, you know, splashing a single one. Um, The difference is Pioneer is a format where the mana is good but not great so you have shocklands, pathways the new slowish lands from the anistrad sets that we see recently these are kind of the main lands you see in a lot of ways and then we have creature lands like den of the bug bear that sort of stuff kind of looking around in single color decks with some power but compared to modern the mana bases are way more tame which means the confines on what you can do are way more uh limited and you can't splash for hate as easily you know and like old modern like you mentioned in right. 2013 when i first started playing you could be like a green red aggro deck and splash white for rest in peace very easily that is not something you can easily do in pioneer
1: yeah i mean it definitely feels like you know when we talked about there at the beginning i remember in 2011 when modern started people were talking about the most powerful cards and there was a few of those early bannings like when the format was launched there was a handful of things that were on the ban list and then in the first year there was a small number of cards that got you know nuked we had some of the cantrips that got nuked. We obviously had the Locust Lands that got nuked and they figured out a pretty good balance pretty fast for what was going to be acceptable. But the card pool just wasn't that deep. I mean, a lot of the stuff we were doing back then, good as it seemed and cool as it was to play, is just it like, it feels like you're playing a different sport than what goes on today in modern. If you took, you know, the best, the best decks from 2012 modern and you play them against the best decks from 22 modern, it's like, I feel like they would get stomped. I feel like they would get absolutely stomped.
0: We actually did this recently. I was an NRG and someone had uh, the dual decks of like, you know, Splinter Twin versus Pod like someone always has. And they played them a bunch and they're like, what if we play this versus Hammer and Lure Shadow and stuff? And the games are a little closer than I expected them to be. But the 2022 decks, as you might expect, were much more efficient and they stumbled way less often. And uh, yeah, and also just in general, our knowledge of magic has gotten so much better. Um, you know, I've been going back and watching a lot of coverage. People have been re- kind of restreaming that and you watch, and you see deck lists. There's just way less lands in decks than there used to be. And, you know, nowadays we just have more lands. We play more of them because we realize it's better to always hit your land drops for most of the time. So and part of that does have to do with the power of our cards being higher. So we want to make sure we cast them. But yeah, it's totally different. And Pioneer really does kind of emulate that sort of gameplay you're mentioning of of like kind of having a smaller, weaker card pool. Uh, and it, it is exacerbated by the mana, like I mentioned before. And so you really, you know, like we have black, red decks, and we'll go over all these later in the show, but like you don't have a whole lot of three color decks that perform well because they just aren't able to be supported with the mana. And they also aren't worth the squeeze kind of of splashing that extra color.
1: Yeah. So when you look at, you know, when you look at a format, because now you've played a lot of both formats, and you look at how am I going to exploit this format? What's the first place you look? like Where do you go? Would you tell a player who wants to get into either modern or pioneer? Where do you start?
0: Yeah, so if you're looking to exploit pioneer, there's a couple different angles that you can go about. Basically, there are a few cards that are still in Pioneer that are extremely powerful. So if you haven't been around since the beginning of Pioneer, when they first announced it back in 2019, they kind of said, hey, we're going to do it a little differently than we did with Modern. We're going to have a ban list, but we're going to update it almost weekly maybe bi-weekly and we're going to kind of curate a banning and unbanning of cards to figure out what we're going to do and so we have a lot of things that were originally very very good like the Green devotion deck the inverter deck field of the dead decks those sort of things are gone but there's still some things that are hanging around that are incredibly powerful and kind of of this new era of fire design that are still big parts of the format so an example of wanting to exploit the format in one big way is the lotus field combo deck that we've seen pop up again very recently there are some pretty big innovations with that with uh you know, figuring out that Sultai Ultimatum or Emergent Ultimatum, that's its proper name, uh, is really, really good in the deck and allows you to set up these sort of in-game loops and something that's been in the format for a while, but you know, as players finally want to take an eye on Pioneer, that's one way. We've seen Neoform actually pop up in the last week and a half or so. So players are using the Delve mechanic with Hooting Mandrills and uh Tastiger to uh Neoform in Marcus, which then lets you yep. cast all the time walks and then you kill your opponent. Uh, and then there are things like Winoda as well which are kind of these like go over the top burst cards. So those are kind of like the three biggest things that are like the
1: most exploitable way of uh, playing magic right now in Pioneer. I'm looking over here at some of the top decks and one of the ones that pops up here is Hidden Strings. And this is really interesting because I've been messing with that card for years trying to figure out a way to break it. And it makes sense that in a format like Pioneer that card would be exactly correctly positioned to be just good enough because it is a unique card. You know, it's one one It's it, for those that don't know what Hidden Strings is. Um, you can speak to this maybe in a second it's a uh, blue one for a sorcery you may tap or untap target permanent then you may tap or untap another target permanent and it has cypher so whenever you you may cast the spell i think whenever you deal combat damage with a creature right mm-hmm. that it's ciphered onto and so it does allow you to get four untaps uh it gets it allows you to get four untaps with one phase and so that does feel pretty built for uh broken broken combo stuff if taken advantage of what's have you played against this deck
0: Yes, I've played against this deck uh, a lot. I've played it a pretty good bit. So basically, the deck will sometimes cipher onto like our Boil Grazer, uh, which they yeah. have as kind of a blocker. But most of the time, what they use it for is it's kind of like a dark ritual or cabal ritual, where they will spend a turn copying a Thespian stage onto a Lotus Field, and now every tap iteration of that nets them uh, four mana. And so with that, they play cards like Four of the Pages, which is essentially the same card, but you draw three and then discard one for five mana. And then once you do that, you kind of figure out a way to win. So the deck has like omniscience. It has, uh, you know, different wish packages. There's kind of a lot much of them jumping around right now, but like various ways to grab something from the sideboard and win the game typically approach of the second sun. uh, And that card is very, very strong and is the reason this deck is playable. I think even if I think if you were to ban that card, this deck's playability rate actually plummets. And so I love that we got to talk about hidden streaks there because it is essentially a big ritual in this format it's almost
1: like cabal ritual actually more so than dark and it just gives you this huge burst of mana under the right criteria well it's really it's funny you so you were you were actually talking about the hidden strings deck when you mentioned lotus field which i didn't even realize that that was the uh the other that was the other card that's referenced but yeah it, it is fascinating when you look at a card like hidden strings it's a card that does not see any play anywhere in modern i've tried many times it's not powerful enough <laughs> uh or may, maybe there's a version of this deck and its interaction there that could work but it is really interesting that like when you reduce the power level in a format, but it's not just standard, there's, it becomes an easier format to brew in. There's more you can do because the, you know, because the walls are not quite so narrow. It's not, you know, with modern, it's very refined at this point. It's, it's, it's almost impossible anymore to play cards that seem actively bad and make them good because the consistency in people's decks is just so high. What they're doing is so pound for pound good. It doesn't even matter if you're able to make something medium, actually good by combining it with another card. It's like, it just doesn't behoove you. The stuff that you have to play against is so efficient. Everything costs one and two. Everything has so much redundancy. Everything is so has so much inevitability. Um, it does make Pioneer like a very, very interesting format. So um, so you, you were talking about where you would start to exploit the format, you know?
0: Yeah, so those are some of the, the main areas. So we, we talked about the lowest field deck. I mentioned it in passing, but I do kind of want to talk about the Velamakis deck because if... If you're a listener to this and you listen to a lot of regular Pioneer content, you probably actually haven't even heard of this deck because it's been making a lot of waves. Uh, I've been playing this deck a bunch on MTGO this past week. Uh, And essentially what you try to do is you're really looking to exploit the fact that all the Delve creatures are in Pioneer. Actually – you probably don't even maybe haven't realized this, but all the Delve spells are legal. So when it comes to like brewing treasure crews, dig through time, time walk. These are all big parts of the format, actually, which I is really temporal cool. trespass. You mean, yes, temporal trespass. Sorry. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, I, <laughs> it's a, a staple of the Arclight Phoenix deck, which is a yeah. wild thing to think about. But it, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, so the Delve spells, they specifically look to use Hooting Mandrills and Passagor. And then Neoform into Velomachus. And then the deck plays a bunch of cards like you were talking about when it comes to like the greater than its parks, the Tie Gun Schemings, uh, Otherworldly Gaze. And I believe uh, the last one is like Contingency Plan or something along that lines. But they're basically like look at the top five cards of your deck and put as many as you want in your graveyard. And you essentially try to set up this combo over and over again. And while it's very weak to some things like Spell Pierce, it's actually surprisingly good. And it's kind of taking the format by storm and really putting pressure on people to be like, hey... You have to have a way to interact with Velimachus or you will just die on that turn that it comes down.
1: Uh, And for those that don't remember what Velimachus does, because I just had to look it up because this card does not show up in Modern.
0: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) believe it or not.
1: (laughs) White, red, five for a five, five, Elder Dragon, Flying Vigilance, Haste. Whenever Velimachus attacks, look at the top seven cards of your library. You may cast an instant or sorcery spell with mana value less than or equal to Velimachus' power from among them without paying its mana cost. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So that makes sense. So you get to... Cast sick-ass spells with, uh, with a big dragon. Yeah, and Neoform, putting the plus one, plus one counter on
0: it lets you do things like Park the of Vale, and Imperial, Thundering, things that typically you cannot
1: do with Velomachus,
0: which is part of why it is playable in this format yeah. and other formats.
1: So when you look at the two formats side by side, when you look at Modern you look at Pioneer, um, which one do you like playing more right now? Are they pretty close for you?
0: It's pretty close for me personally. There. So one what, what of the things I like about Pioneer is that it feels kind of like slowed down Magic and more like Magic before everything got super mana efficient, like you mentioned before. And it is kind of reminiscent to that older day. And while I do love Modern, and Modern is probably my favorite format and the format I play the most of, I've liked that I've played multiple Pioneer games and multiple Pioneer tournaments now where it's like, oh, I missed a turn, I missed another one, and the game isn't over. Like, my opponent wasn't able to slam the door without having, like, a really, really good draw, and I'm able to crawl back in. So I have liked that sort of aspect to the games. Um, and just kind of, like, almost like a, like, you know when you stop drinking caffeine for a week and your body kind of resets? It's kind of like yeah. that's like, hey, I'm getting back into things right now. So right now, probably Pioneer, long-term, probably Modern, but they're both really fun for different reasons.
1: So let's talk about some of the staples before we get into maybe a bit of a deck breakdown for people who are wondering kind of how it functions. So uh, let's talk maybe the the major one. So Lightning Bolt is not legal in Pioneer. I'm correct in that, right? Correct. So what is the Lightning Bolt equivalent that people play?
0: So it's funny. Right now there's kind of a big debate trying to figure that out. But the things that you'll kind of see is if you're an arc-like deck, the equivalent to that is Lightning Axe. uh, Mm -hmm. And then if not that, it's Fiery Impulse. So that is the magic origins uh, deal two damage to a creature or planeswalker, and then if you have spell mastery, it deals three instead. And Got so there's it, okay. that, and there's another one that uh, exiles a creature if it kills it, but it's a shock. So typically, we're looking at shocks with a little extra work uh, in yep. Pioneer.
1: Classic. That's that's fairly standard in the in any in any non lightning bolt world. Um, we do not have Inquisition of Kozlek, but we do have Thoughtseize. Correct.
0: Yeah, we we don't have little brother, <laughs> but we do have big brother. So Thoughtseize. Is uh, a big part of the format, especially before kind of the COVID era with Inverter was a huge part. And people are kind of exploring with it more now. But Thoughtseize is one of the bigger uh, staples of the format when it comes to early interaction. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. It kind of doesn't exist after that, which is kind of weird. After that, you kind of have to get the more clunky interaction in order to find any sort of removal or anything like that. Because there's nothing really in blue. White doesn't have like a path to exile equivalent. There are some two mana spells like Fateful Absence that you'll see on the control decks that are really good. And Portable Hole starting to see a little play, but the format isn't con- con- conducive to Portable Hole like the way it is in Pioneer. Like in Pioneer, all I'm sorry, in Modern, all the threats are one and two mana, including the Planeswalkers. But in Pioneer, they're not really designed like that, right? They're designed to be standard cards, so it's a lot of well, that- three and four mana things to take over the game.
1: It is interesting because the stuff that has been introduced to Modern that has changed the game for each of the different colors, the pieces of interaction, they are all were printed in one of the Horizon sets. So you, if you're talking about Prismatic Ending or you know, if you're talking about something like Suspend, which is a great new addition, you know, some people play, it's not as common. The free interaction spells, all the elementals, like that's all the interaction people play now, right? None of that is legal in Pioneer and none of it ever will be legal in Pioneer. So it is fascinating that, you know, in Modern anymore, it's like because of Prismatic Ending, people are like, well, that's pretty good. Prismatic endings better. And it's like Pioneer's like, we don't have anything. We wanna we'll play portable hole if you'll let us like, you know, it's <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah, you very much you're like when I go back and I play like my weekly modern tournaments, I'm reminded how lucky I am to have such powerful answer spells after playing Pioneer all week on Modo. And uh, yeah, you really do. You don't start having good, clean interaction until two or even three mana. Uh, And so it it really does change the game on what kind of threats are playable. I know that y'all used to talk a long time about how modern is a format defined by Lightning Bolt. Yeah. Um, And that's kind of what's happening with Lightning Axe now because of how good the Arclight Phoenix decks are. But the difference being that like because there's so few actual things that interact, it isn't, and every color can splash like they can in old modern, and they don't have their own answers like Path Before.
1: That it actually allows for more things to be playable than you would expect, uh, which is a really cool place to be. Yeah, I do, I do think what you're saying there is funny, but I, what I was going to say about Lightning Axe is that it feels very different because that feels like a function of a deck that is good right now. And we've seen over the years in modern, this has been the case, Lightning Axe has fit into various decks. It used to fit into like the Mardu decks, Obviously, Phoenix decks, Blue Red Spells decks. It's a card that has certainly seen play, but it goes in and out of favor depending on whatever the deck du jour is. I think in Pioneer, probably because of the amount of damage you get with that card and the function of the discard thing, it works really well. But if if the format ends up getting a ban or a nuke or it changes, that doesn't feel like a card that will be ubiquitous in a way down the line. Something else will get printed that's better probably eventually, but maybe for a while. I mean, five damage is five damage. Yeah, it's interesting. I think uh, you're right
0: that a big part of it is like the synergies that we've seen in other formats as well, playing a big part of this. But along those lines, too, as long as the Delve spells are legal, things like Lightning Axe are way more appealing than they are in places like Modern. Uh, and part of that is part of the whole Arclight package or whatever. But there are things where like we're seeing days undoing Narset decks that are playing this card just because they're trying to reach these end games And they're willing to give up that sort of card advantage to make sure they've reached that spot where they're able to resolve their game in and combo uh, in the context of Pioneer. And so it, it is interesting. I, I'm very curious to see, you know, we're in the middle of Streets of Nuka being released right now. Every set seems to have a good uncommon removal spell. And so I'm waiting for the, the dump on Friday to see if there's anything for Pioneer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I mean, so far, these last couple sets, I mean, from a power level, they're pretty dope. I do think Comic God was a little low in power overall. There wasn't that much juiciness for Modern out of that set. But in just, just the general design, though, sets are so dope. I'm like really excited about them. I think that they look incredible. I think that the vibe is so cool. The flavor is a guy that never really is into flavor. I'm all about the flavor in these sets. Um, I've been very, very happy with it. And it's cool. I mean, that's one of the things, you know, I, we used to talk on this podcast a lot about this format called Highlander Gauntlet. We used to call it Highlander Roulette. And it's a format for those that don't remember where you build six unique decks. The reserve list is the ban list. There can be no repetitions between the six decks. And then you roll off between your six and that's the matchup. So you get very, very, very little repetition because there's you have to divide your lands and your soul rings and your demonic tutors and between all your different decks. Um, and anytime new cards got printed, I always would look and be like, oh, is there anything for Highlander? Is there anything for Highlander? Because it was like my pet format that I used to love so much. But the power level can just got higher and higher and higher. And it's the same with Modern where it's like for a card to break into Modern, we find ourselves saying all the time, I mean, it's pretty cool and it might be good, but is it as good as X or is it as good as Y? Or it has to be better than this to actually see play. Whereas with Pioneer, there's a lot more. So it's kind of what I was saying about brewing. There's just a lot more you know, volatility uh, in a week-to-week, month-to-month metagame where some cool card that got printed three years ago could break through all of a sudden. Somebody could just come up with a deck, and it's like, oh, yeah, you're playing this card that I forgot existed. Good deal. I mean, Hidden Strings is a great example of that. I've wanted that card to be good forever. This actually happened uh, yesterday, too, with the Monogreen Devotion deck. Uh, Canister figured out that if you put,
0: I think it's called Pesting Cauldron in your deck for your wishboard for Karn, it actually goes infinite uh, with like, uh, Nykthos, and it's just like this weird like backwards combo that's in the deck. Uh, that's like, you know, we're just finding out now because the format's finally getting some focus and love there i'm actually trying to look up the exact card name here
1: so it's uh on the front side it's a black black two artifact that states discard a card create a one one black and green pest creature token with when this creature dies you gain one life for one and a tap each opponent uh mills cards equal to the amount of life you gain this turn and for four and a tap exile four target cards from a single graveyard draw a card and on the other side you've got a five mana sorcery Uh, Return up to two target creature land and or planeswalker cards from your graveyard to your hand. Each player gains four life exile restorative burst.
0: Yeah, so apparently with two Karns and two Kioras and a Nykthos, your Karns will always grab that one because it's on the backside in Exiles, the Cauldron, and then that gives you infinite life as long as your Nykthos can tap for four mana. Uh, And so you just kind of loop that ad nauseum. But that's like an innovation literally in the last... I'm looking at the tweet. It's been 24 hours since Gannister tweeted it, and that is like impacting modern. So we talk about brewing. These things really are happening very, very
1: quickly. (laughs) Very cool. So let's talk through a little bit of the metagame. Um, Let's talk through some of the stuff that's going on. And, uh, and and some of the some of the better decks. You already mentioned Phoenix. Let's talk through Phoenix. I know it's a popular one. It's one I've played in, in modern over the years a lot that I've really, really liked. I'm looking at the list here that is popular on Goldfish. I see predictably thing in the ice Phoenix, a couple Stormwing entities. Um, I don't see anything in here that's that crazy. Consider is probably a card that back in the day when it was popular was not played, obviously, because it wasn't printed yet. So that's a new addition that it looks like it gets played. Um, Anything that jumps out at you that really is definitive to the uh, Pioneer version? Besides the Delve cards like Treasure Cruise and Temporal Trespass, the big one is Pieces of the
0: Puzzle. Uh, Pieces of the Puzzle Ah, is a card that wasn't quite... Yeah, it wasn't quite modern power level. You know, we kind of had Manamorphose to fill that graveyard-filling kind of slot in your deck. But Pieces is actually so big for this deck. It just allows you to actually burst through in the late games and the mid games of having enough cards while fueling your delve cards. And with cards like Galvanic Iteration that we've seen in Standard combined with the Time Walks, the Treasure Cruises, and the Pieces, it actually gives this deck its own unique flavor and flair. So your early turns are very reminiscent to the modern turns. And then your mid and late turns are very much more unique and uh, diverse in the way they play out.
1: Well, yeah, because it is interesting to think about how fast mana blue red decks classically would play I mean, in the old days. You would play a taxi Probe, but you just have a lot of really efficient cantrips and ways to break the system with Morphos. When you take Probe, I mean, it's gone from Modern as well, but you take metamorphos out. We had a conversation on the podcast last week about this, how just backbreaking getting rid of that card would be to so many modern decks. I mean, it's such an essential piece, such a unique card that has somehow managed to dance between the raindrops of bands over the years. And I think it's because it's a cool card and it's a fun card that enables a lot of good stuff. But when you don't have it in Pioneer, I mean, the deck has to take on a completely different feeling because you just don't get that free spell.
0: Yeah, I've actually... I I played... um... This deck at the Pioneer 5K at SUG Indy the other week and lost playing for top eight twice in a row. But the deck is like very good in the mid game at having more spells than you actually did in the modern version due to having to play cards like pieces of the puzzle, et cetera. But you're right, in the earlier turns, it's so much harder to get that mass of spells and get your Phoenixes to actually come back. Um, and yeah, the things like we would love to have Mana Morphos and Pioneer, but you don't. But it also is kind of part of the charm and the fun of this deck is that it doesn't just like always bring back all these birds on turn three every game. You actually have a much harder time getting the birds in your graveyard without pieces of the puzzle as well. If you look at the deck list, you'll see four lightning axe, probably an is it Charm and one or two charter courses. And besides that, you just have pieces to get them in the yard. So you actually end up hard casting them a lot and having them die in the old natural ways and then bringing them back.
1: I was going to say it does. It does strike me as a little bit more of a like a instead of a red blue blitz deck, It feels like a little bit more of a mid range spells deck. Like it doesn't feel like it's quite as explosive but, you know, Phoenix is still a recursive threat, which makes it really, really good.
0: Yeah, yeah the deck is re- it really uh, is emblematic of how strong Thing in the Ice is a lot of the times. So we have actually seen some innovation over the past weekend. There was a Mox qualifier where someone cut the Thing in the Ice is from the main deck as a way to kind of get an edge in the mirrors. Uh, but yeah, it, the once again, talking about the brewing, the format with that sort of stuff, like I don't think you'd ever imagine doing that in modern. Uh, but the deck is really grindy and unique and you actually end up playing a controlling game against a lot of the decks in the format. Like when Noda, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in a minute, your role is much more like make sure nothing sticks and then kind of take over the game at some point. So
1: Let's talk a little bit about this blue-white deck. Blue-white Control, um, it definitely it's it's showing up here at the top of the list, so I'm assuming it's one of the most popular, one of the most powerful. I see some some familiar cards that I obviously know well, that have been very, very good in Modern, um, but I also see some other cards that have not seen as much play. One that stands out to me here is Four March of Otherworld Light. That's uh, that's a cool thing.
0: Yeah, so the blue-white deck is probably the best or second best deck to appear on the weekend in Pioneer right now. So if you love Control, you found the format for you. Um, it's funny because it does kind of play the Planeswalker package that we see in modern these days where you play, you know, Teferi Five, the Wandering Emperor, and Narset Part of Veils instead of Jace the Mind Sculptor on that spot. Um, but its answers are way different. And March of the Little Red Light is a really cool one that is – it's interesting because it's so – catch-all in universal in pioneer and it's helped decks like Just Cassidency stop being a huge force in the metagame, but is actually kind of clunky and plays to the nature of Pioneer where it is not very easy to recoup losing a lot of cards in Pioneer, even for this deck with things like Teferi and Narset. And so you're having to cast your March of the Worldly Lights often for a lots of mana. And so they turn into these kind of clunky one for one, but they're catch-alls. And so it's kind of a cool unique balancing point. But you'll see if you look through the deck there's other things like we talked about like fateful absence being a uh early removal spell you're having to play cards like absorb dovin's veto if you want to have this counter magic it's going to be a little clunkier and a little less all-encompassing than stuff like modern
1: i mean i i do love seeing a format that plays four absorb main deck it reminds me of like invasion standard from like back when i was a teenager uh way back in the day back when absorb and under absorb was like a 23 three dollar card back in the day like it was like, it was like one of the premier rares from, uh, was it from invasion? Yeah. Yeah. It's from invasion. I'm pretty sure yeah, it's from invasion. originally. Yeah. Like it and Phyrexian and Scudo were like the most expensive cards.
0: <laughs> what a um, time to
1: be alive. What a time to be a Skizzik was like $12. Oh man. Skizzik. <laughs> card could, yeah, could be a common today. Um, yeah. So this, this deck definitely looks sweet. Um, I mean, other stuff in here that stands out Four memory deluge is, is pretty dope. Um, you know, definitely that's a that's a that's a fun one. I mean, in a format that already is able to play um, dig through time, the fact that you're playing memory delusion, this deck is also sweet. It, yeah, it's super sick. It's also really cool to like squeeze
0: you put on your opponent with the Wandering Emperor and Memory Deluge split. Uh, and some people even play a single cell of the wreckage because a lot of these decks are Yorion. Not all of them are people are still trying to figure out if you should be a Yorion or a hero deck. Um, but you'll see often like maybe one of the wreckage in the Yorion builds and it's like okay, well, how do I play around the Wandering of Her Deluge and settle? Uh, how do I, how do you beat that? And that's kind of a cool sub game this deck has.
1: So let's talk about uh, companions for a second because I think that's sure. interesting. Obviously, Luris has gone from Modern. Is Luris legal in Pioneer? It actually got the axe along
0: with Modern. They they preemptively banned it. They said that it was at a healthy play rate currently got in Pioneer according to their data. But they knew that eventually it would get too good, so they axed it. And believe it
1: or not, Luris was the best thing to do before Lurus was banned in Pioneer. So <laughs> probably a good ban. <laughs> yeah, that card's so good. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so, so so blue-white sounds like it's just uh, it's a pile of good blue-white control cards. And it sounds like it's in the place that the format that formats get to sometimes, where it's got enough answers. Those answers are efficient enough to be able to be good against the field. Um, what is the Jund equivalent? What's, the, what's our powerful mid-range deck of just good stuff? So you're probably going to want to look at Rakdos midrange for that sort of okay. thing. There
0: are, there are currently two Rakdos decks that are kind of fighting for it. There's like a Oni Cold Animal Mayhem double deck that's pretty good. I personally think the Rakdos midrange, which we'll talk about here in one second, is a little bit better. But they're both very good, and these are your agenda equivalents. Rakdos midrange plays some really sick cards. You get to play Chandra Torture Defiance, Kalidas Trader of Gets, Soren the Mirthless, Graveyard Trespasser. I just got mine in the mail today. Bone Crusher Giant. Just a lot of really sick value things. Things That are very much reminiscent to, like, you know, the old Jun guy memes, you know, where they have a bunch of clunky cards to answer. But in this format, they're not unplayably clunky. They're just actively good parts to roll the metagame. And it's the best Thoughtseize deck as well, which is this kind of defining feature. It gets Thoughtseize and Fatal Push. Uh, Fatal Push, not being a, actually a super huge definer in the format, we didn't talk about it earlier because it weirdly really doesn't line up super well. But it is a powerful thing this deck gets access to. And when it's good, it's very good
1: well yeah that makes sense i mean because if the efficiency of the of the threats in the format are not quite as good so you know everybody's not just playing only one and two drops it would make sense the push wouldn't be and also with without fetch lands it's probably just much harder to get online um, it's really hard <laughs> yeah yeah that's 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 uh how, how times have changed but we we both know that you know get your fatal pushes now because flash forward two years that card's going to be in every deck when they you know print fetches into pioneer or do something else like that it'll it'll happen
0: mm-hmm yeah, we have Fable Passage right now. That's that's our best fetch land we have. So, you know, th- they've said that they're not going to bring the normal fetch lands into this format. Um, I believe somewhere – someone told me that somewhere Aaron said in an interview that, like, if they even reprinted the fetch lands, they would pre-ban them just like they did with this format when it originally happened. Interesting. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I was able to find that tweet, but someone said that to me on Twitter. And so, you know. I think that's pretty reasonable. Um, but it, it, regardless, this form, this deck is really, really cool. You play a bunch of awesome things like Blood Tithe Harvester. is just a card you don't get the play. Yeah, I was looking formats. at
1: that card. Blood Tithe Harvester, black, red for a 3-2 vampire. When it enters the battlefield, create a blood token. Tap, sacrifice, harvester. Target creature gets minus X, minus X to end of turn, where X is twice the number of blood tokens you control. That's pretty sweet. I mean, a 2-mana 3-2 with upside? I always, always love that.
0: Yeah, it's funny. We talk about the fatal push, like not being able to enable, uh, not being able to enable. This is how you do it. Is that uh, card, and, and it works so well with also fabled the mirror breaker, which we're seeing more and more in Magic as the time goes on as we play with that card, and that's a staple of this deck. And that interaction is a way for this deck to really take over and
1: get through the land
0: patches that are traditionally huge problems for these sort of decks.
1: So the, the land packages, before we keep moving through the decks, let's talk a little bit about that. You mentioned that, you know, the in modern, obviously you have fetches and shocks and then you have all the really good creature lands. You said that in this format, people kind of lean into there's the passage with the pathways, which were the double face lands from the recent Zendikar set. Those those make sense that they would be some of the best ones. Fabled Passage is obviously a huge one as it's a great fetch land. It is a really good card. Um, what are some of the others that show up that you see a lot?
0: Uh, shock lands as well. Just to make sure we mentioned it. Um, and then. Kind of from this point, it depends on the kind of deck you're playing. So you'll see things like this black red deck we're looking at. It actually plays some of the castles as well from Throne of Eldraine. So this one plays Castle Lockthuane, which is the black draw one. Uh, you'll see things like the creature lands from AFR are all okay. really, really good. And they all see play in their respective colors. Typically only bug if they're aggressive and, decks, uh, yeah. minus the blue one. So like didn't the bug bears in this deck? And I believe uh, so is high of the Eye Tyrant. We see a little bit of splashing when it but not for mana fixing, but more for utility from the channel lands from Kamigawa. So we see like one Sokin Zahn a lot of decks. see one Odawara and a lot of decks, you see one, one Boseju, much like modern. Uh but when it comes to actual fixing, it really is pathway shock lands. And then sometimes the lands, uh, the fast lands, if you're in your colors. So we have the Kaladesh fast lands. So for the enemy colors for like spire bluff canal, etc. And that's like kind of it. There, there aren't that many duels that are really, really good. And you'll see some decks use some, for lack of a better term, jankier stuff like the Hour of Devastation Cycle Lands that are duels uh, yeah, as well. Okay. Yeah. And you'll see Glacial Fortress and Drown Catacomb cycle a little bit, but for the most part, they're just actually kind of too clunky even for Pioneer and too
1: inconsistent. So even with even with uh, shocks though, I mean you'll see like because it strikes me that you I mean I could imagine playing two two check lands in a deck if I was playing primarily shocks and basics that I could see that happening. But I also, you know, you don't want to start your opening hand with a two lander. That's your two check lands. That's bad news.
0: Yeah. I think the problem with the check lands is that the like pathways, the utility lands, and then like, you don't have a whole lot of room for more basic types. And since they're two color decks and not three color decks, you actually end up only having about six or seven cards that are actually the land type. So you have like your four shocks and your two or three basics. Field of Ruins are a really big part of this format because the creature lands are really good. Uh, So I guess that's kind of part of the land package. So you're forced to play some number of basics, but it makes it really hard for something, you know, like Drowned Catacomb to actually reliably enter untapped on turn three or by turn three, I should say. And so that makes it kind of less appealing than it would typically be.
1: Um, all right, so let's go through some of the other top ones. You mentioned Winota, the Naya Winota deck.
0: Mm-hmm. This deck is kind of a heater. So we talked about, I mentioned earlier, like the fire design, the really strong cards from the Throne of Eldraine era. This is one of the ones that has snuck through the banning so far. Some people think it should be banned. Some think it shouldn't. But Winota, essentially, if you don't know it, is a four mana. So two red, white for a human warrior four, four that whenever you attack with a non-human creature for each instance, look at the top six cards of your deck and put a human into play. So this deck plays things like Elvish, Mystic, Gilded Goose, Llanowar Elves, which are some of the best one-drops and, you know, kind of historically a Magic Man Elves. This deck gets to play all of those. Uh, cycles them into kind of things like Brutal Cathar, uh, Tovalar's Huntmaster, et cetera, as your humans, and you just kind of cheat those in really quick. So you try to play a quick Renoda, and then cheat in a big human and it'll look like a utility human. And that's kind of the whole deck. Um, it's sort of one note that the, the trick to it is, is that you can often play a medium mid range game and you kind of play like a bad Naya mid range deck and that's good yeah. enough sometimes, but you really are trying to like overpower people with when no doubt.
1: We have I can see here looking at the list here, you've got a bunch of mana creatures, you've got four voice of resurgence, you've just got like kind of just good cards overall that you've got a lot of acceleration. So hitting four drops doesn't seem that impossible. You just cast four drops, maybe, you know? That yeah.
0: I have I played this deck a little bit and I've played against it a bunch and it does sort of end up where if you're playing all the, the whole deck, the whole format knows about Winota. and such a big focal point that every deck can answer it. So often what happens is you answer the first Winota and they play kind of a mid-range game while they try to find that second Winota. And we've seen a lot of innovations in the deck where, you know, originally they would play things like three or four Eldritch Evolutions and maybe even some Neoforms trying to get to Winota. Really quick and always have it. And now you're seeing a little bit of that pop back up as the metagame kind of gets faster. But while it was slower there for a bit, we saw Fable the Mirror Breaker enter the deck. And that was a way for the deck to kind of have more of a grind and you know, not have so many six drops stuck in your hand and that sort of thing. And we're seeing a lot of innovation, even in an archetype as refined as One Nota. Uh so back to the brewing point, this is the best format to be brewing in right now. All the decks have a lot of different variations and ways to get them. And it's so early on it. you know, it's not like anyone can say like this is the right way to do it, because we're changing it week to week.
1: Well, so the Pro Tour is back. And this is obviously the this is the format of the first Pro Tour in case people didn't know. And so coming up, we're obviously going to see quite a bit of grinding, people are going to play this format a lot, you're going to see it at your shops, and then the Pro Tour is going to happen. So what are some of the cards you expect people should be picking up now that you think in three, four, five, six months are going to start to get unreasonably expensive?
0: I think the first one that jumps out to my mind is the Wandering Emperor. The, the Wandering Emperor is a defining card in standard, which has not been something anyone's cared about for like two years. But yeah. with, with paper play coming back, some qualifiers might be standard. We're seeing Watsis even doing their game day thing as standard. So they they want some out of standard back. Who knows what Dream will do if there are other events? So the Wandering Emperor is one I'd pick up. Uh, Meat Hook Massacre is part of the so Oni Cult. An- <laughs> it's so good. Its effect is <laughs> so unique, too. So it is currently $60 right now. <laughs> I believe that card will go up in value uh, pretty reasonably. So if you think you're an oni cold animal fan, I would suggest picking that card up before anything goes any higher. Um, other cards that I think you should be picking up are things like Arclight Phoenix, uh, Tablet of the Guild is like a weird uncommon that I think will go up because it only has one printing. Uh, Tablet of the Guild, if you don't know, is a two mana artifact that's like name two colors whenever you cast that a spell card? that color. <laughs> yeah it's so so. funny enough the burn deck is really good in pioneer uh we, we didn't quite huh. talk about it, but it's like a solid player and it's totally like the default budget deck to get into again and it has a really good arc light matchup until arc light players found table of the guilds and so now it's like you can play it and they rely so much on burn that your deck has so many cantrips you can actually beat it um
1: that's so and interesting.
0: So, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a, a funny element of it. So that that's one expressive iteration is another card that I think we're seeing it be six dollars now. It's going to keep going up. on the Great Revel, another kind of card that I expect to continue to go up. Uh, all the cards for hidden strings like are pretty cheapish right now. Like, uh so one thing that happened that a lot of people don't realize because it was COVID is that the Challenger decks, like they did for Modern that one time, and every year for Standard they did a cycle for Pioneer. so oh, I spirits, Yeah, there were spirits burn. Lotus Field and then a black-white auras deck that was leaning on Luris. So it's really only three that matter now. But those cards are all out there. So you can get Spirits Burn and the uh, Lotus Field cards currently pretty cheap. Like my LGS has one for $50. So you could get literally the entire Lotus Field deck for $50, minus I think, like a few cyborg cards. So picking up that stuff is really, really good. Um and then honestly, the the last thing, and it's so boring to say, but it's the pathways. The pathways are all Six, seven dollars—they've all gone up since the announcement, and I expect that like supply and demand to keep going that way. Uh, especially since some of those sets are like out of print right now.
1: I called that on the Pathways when they got printed. I remember saying it on the podcast. Anytime you can always tell—you can always tell if a cycle of lands is good enough, and it's pretty like on it, their face. You can usually tell, and it's not that hard to figure out. It's usually like, does this have some amount of like turn one untapped utility? Like mm-hmm. that's kind of it. And and if it's a really good thing that comes in tapped. It has to have a lot of upside to matter. So two color lands that are untapped in any format, anytime they get printed and they feel like they're at the top, you know, pushing a power level, like they feel like they're always something that we should be picking up. And I think you're correct in that. That doesn't surprise me um, at all. What are some uh, underrated gems that uh, that you particularly like in this format that you feel like people aren't playing enough of? Mm, That's a great question. So there are some cards that like I think
0: theoretically make a lot of sense right now in current Pioneer. So like Storm Breath Dragon is one where the white uh, blue-white control deck has a real problem against haste creatures. And all of its removal is white-based outside of counter spells and board wipes. Uh, so I think Storm Breath Dragon actually taxes the Wandering Emperor really, really well. Th- that card can interact with that. They actually have a hard time removing it once it's off the battlefield. So that's something that for like Rakdos mid-range decks, I've tried exploring boring into that card. And it found it to be really strong. Uh, when you're able to resolve it, sometimes that's the harder part, but you know, that's something that's like 80 cents right now. That's pretty cool to pick up on. Uh, oh, Storm Breath is only 80 cents. Jeez. Yeah. It's like they're surprisingly cheap. I, I remember when I first started playing that card, it was like, I want to say 10 ish dollars, but anyways, that that's something that's kind of cool. The Jeskai Ascendancy decks have historically been a huge part of modern, uh, a huge part of Pioneer, sorry. And that's something that I think is underexplored right now. The format has sped up a little bit since uh, Kamigawa got released and there are more answers for cards like Jeskai Ascendancy uh, in the form of like March of Udly Worldly Light. We see a lot of spell pierces and that kind of stuff. Um, But I do think that sort of deck is underexplored um, currently, despite formally being the best deck in the format. Um, So that's something that I'm really interested in looking more at. I think the Neoform stuff, I know I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that that is underexplored like, Basically everyone's playing the exact same deck right now. No one's trying anything new and things like solve the equation seem like a really big way to upgrade that invoke calamities. The red one is uh, a way to actually get your time walks back on repeat. You play so many cards that put cards in the graveyard. That's a good way to kind of get an edge on people. Um, so th- those are things that I'm really interested in trying. The grease fang decks are really cool gems that are surprisingly played a lot, but not refined a lot. I, I don't know how you feel about this, but there's a lot of uh, inertia
1: and in deck building and magic. And it seems okay, like, when, this like this is somebody gets the idea and then everybody else starts to jump on the idea. And then all of a sudden it's good. And it's like, well, how did we not all this? know this was good before. It feels like this was always good. But like one good player made you read right, that whole thing you're talking about. Yeah, that and once
0: one good player kind of has a thing and it's been proven to do well. There's a lot of deck building inertia to actually change the deck because they're like, well, you know, canisters way better than me. I don't want to, you know, like if he didn't play this card, he probably for a reason. And the truth might just be. The canister didn't know about the card, you know? And so uh, a deck building inertia is a pretty big part of Pioneer. We see this happen with like the Bant Spirits deck a bunch, which is, I would say, the last deck that I would say, like I think is really underplayed and should be played more. Uh, for a long time, just nobody played. I want to call it Watcher of the Sphere. Uh, I can't, okay. but it's basically it's here it is. Yeah, Watcher of the Sphere. So it's blue, white for a 2-2. Creatures with Flying costs one generic less man to cast. And the whole deck is flying creatures, but no one played it because it wasn't a spirit and no one really tried. But that card had seen some fringe modern play when it first came out I Mean trying that deck. And then someone put it in the Pioneer Spirits deck and it really gave that deck a huge boost in power. Where now you're able to kind of, you know, rattle change plus Spell Queller. And, you know, and you have almost all the good uh, spirits that you have in modern in this format outside of drug school captain. So while that is a big one, you still have a lot of really strong game. And since the removal is much worse in this format, Mausoleum Wanderer goes way further. Vital Chains goes way further uh, and much more often trade up on mana than they would before. Selfless Spirit. So uh, those are some things that I would look at and I think are under explaining some underexplored gems because Watcher of the Sphere making all your things cheaper is really, really good. Believe it or not.
1: (laughs) watcher of the sphere yeah i, I love the spirit sec i've always been a fan of those cards and it's another it's another tribe that they they are consistently willing to print into more and more so it's another one that i think we can probably expect to get better and better as time goes on um what about any any rogue tribes well rogue tribes eh? 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 <laughs> so i i actually love the rogue deck in standard and when the pioneer announcement tried i
0: tried to jump in on it and i very quickly remembered that the delve spells are legal and a big part of the format and so milling my opponent Came back to bite me pretty quickly, but I would love for the rogues to get more help there. That's something that I think is weirdly very, very close to good. We just need the delve spells to be a less big part of the format so your cards kind of work all the time. The humans tribe has popped in and out of the format. Currently, Humans is a little worse than Winota, and it's kind of getting relegated to the side. But there are so many sick humans. That's a tribe that is awesome to explore. Vampires is actually very, very good in Pioneer. It's a little underplayed right now because of Winota once again. But you have Sorin, the Imperious Bloodlord, which is the show uh, oh, yeah, yeah, and tell Sorin. Yeah, that card's great. Yeah, it's great. And so Champion of the Dusk with that, where Kalidas are so big, Edgar Markov is a card that's seen play on the deck. Um, and that deck has just got clean mana and kills people very quickly. Uh, so that that's an underrated tribe that definitely should get more love and more exploring. Uh, Zombies actually has a lot of the same cards that made it really good in standard in the current format. Um, They're even dredge. They're like dredgeless dredge decks where you play things like Sader Wayfinder, or Grizzly Salvage, and you have stuff like Nurk Amiable Prized Amalgam uh, that are able to push you over the edge, Creeping Chill. And so that's kind of a tribe I would say. The graveyard dredgy stuff. Um, outside of that, there aren't too too many tribes that see uh, a bunch of play. But those tribes are all really deep and have a lot of different ways you can interact with the pieces and move them around. So if you're looking to kind of get into a tribal deck, have a deck you can build on and expand on spirits, humans,
1: vampires. They're all really cool and really good. Do you think um, some of the cards that are legal that have been banned in modern, like do you think the delve cards are at risk? Like would you say that that's a concern that, you know, if you play a lot, you invest in a deck that's kind of built around having treasure crews available, that you're maybe not the smartest move?
0: Yeah, so from a financial standpoint, I do think given a long enough timeline, those cards are going to go. We'll just get more cheap, efficient cards. And part of the reason they're so good at modern is the cheap, efficient cards and the fetch lands. We all kind of know that was the problem. We don't have the fetch lands and we don't have the cheap spells right now. So, my kind of running prevailing theory is that we will just get these cards in the format until they become too big of a problem. And they'll be like, yeah, like y'all had your fun with that card. We wanted to let you play with it as long as we could. Unfortunately, it's gone now. Uh, my guess though is that we're talking two years from now so wow okay yeah yeah just given how the standard formats kind of look they're moving everything into higher mana uh cost for the most part so i would guess that unless we get like a pioneer horizon set or something along those lines or something where they kind of insert cards like electrolyze uh cryptic command et cetera, into the format uh, unless we get something like that I, I would expect a year and a half two years so if that sounds like that's too long or not enough time for you to play with your deck, then I wouldn't pick a deck like that. And if that sounds like plenty of time, I think the Delve decks are very, very good. Um, and I would be interested in playing those.
1: Um, do you have a deck that you are like planning that's like your main your main squeeze for the next little while? Or are you, are you kicking around a bunch of different stuff?
0: I, I have a bunch of different stuff kicking around. So I started playing Magic. Uh, my first pre-release was Gatecrash. So I just have me in nature own all these cards except for kind of the time in which COVID happened where no one bought paper cards. Yeah. Um, and my main squeeze and love has kind of been uh click Phoenix recently. Uh, I actually didn't really love playing it in modern and found it kind of boring with all the cantrips, but here the play patterns were just different enough that I've liked it. And so I, I like that deck a lot. Um, I really like the Rakdos pile decks. I think those are kind of fun to play. But my main love right now and where I'm kind of focusing my attention moving forward into the qualifying season is the Arclight Phoenix deck and the the various versions of that. You know, there's like days undoing Narset lists out there where they kind of play a lot of the similar cards that have that in game instead of thing in the ice and stuff along those lines. So I'm really looking to explore the blue red stuff.
1: So let's jump back over to Modern for about five minutes before we wrap up here. Um What is your favorite deck in modern right now? I mean, are you still playing Money Pile? Is it or is it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to put Money Pile down once you invested (laughs) so much
1: into it. I am still
0: playing Money Pile for a bunch of big tournaments. I'm actually a huge Yogmoth fan. Uh, okay. I, I love I that I deck a lot. Too. That's probably one of my favorite decks to play. Actually, shameless plug. I wrote a whole guide for it with free on uh, Card Kingdom. They have all the combo explained. I tried to lay it out as easily as I could for new players so they could help out there. And I am a huge, huge Yawgmoth fan. I'm a big believer in that deck. I put a bunch of the Yorian build. I don't know if you saw this from the SCG this last weekend, but someone put Yorian Yogmoth together. That deck has been surprisingly good. Um, and so I would say those are kind of my two big ones I love the, the Yawgmoth and I love the Money Pile but I play almost all the decks in Modern I have a lot of them in paper I have a pretty good Modern scene locally and I try to switch it up as much as I can
1: that's cool, yeah, Yawgmoth definitely got better in the post in the in the post Lurus ban uh, it was one of the, the beneficiaries and just yet another, yet another deck that's based around a powerful card from one of the Horizon sets, wouldn't yeah. you know it
0: <laughs> <laughs> hard to believe yeah. the set
1: only for Modern would have a big impact on Modern, I don't know, it is it is crazy. It's I, I do think when we look back, I mean, I do think those sets are awesome. And I think Modern's in a good place. I think Modern is fine. I don't think there's like an issue. But it is also interesting to realize that how affected the format has been by these two things and how that broke a natural cycle of release. And it was the first time they'd ever done that. And like, it has invalidated a lot of the design that goes into all of the other cards to the point that like. If you chose to play in modern and you couldn't play any horizons cards, your decks couldn't compete straight up. I don't think they would even be remotely competitive. I just think you would be you'd be missing linchpin cards to almost every strategy. Yeah, I agree. One one thing we kind of talked
0: about recently uh, on a podcast, my podcast is like, what does modern look like if you don't have the horizon sets? You know, yeah. like what what is it even like? And it's so hard to even imagine because the modern horizon cards have Become a part of the format so much that it's like, well, none of these decks exist, and we can't even be like, oh, it'd be like this, like, like the fringiest deck that's good is like Yawgmoth, right? And it's like, well, that's a Tinsular card from Modern Horizons. Same with like Amulet Titan has like. Well, like this deck doesn't play too many cards, but it loses Urza Saga and it loses all its free interaction that makes it able to actually like stay around. So it's like, OK, the format would be less powerful but maybe things like Omnath would be the best thing to be doing by a lot. And it's so unclear, you know, without Red and Six, can you actually do that sort of stuff? And yeah, it's wild to think about modern uh, in this kind of world. It is fun for personally, but it is different than what I fell in love with.
1: Yeah. Very much so. Um, If the folks want to find you and they want to follow along with what you're doing, they want to read your articles, talk to me about where they can find you.
0: You can find me each and every week on the Constructed Criticism Podcast. Uh, We have a podcast focused on helping people take kind of that step up from the local 1K scene to bigger things like GPs, Pro Tours, Dream Hacks. Uh, We really focus on that sort of stuff. You can find me on Twitter at Mason E. Clark. I have a bunch of tweets there. Some of them are silly, some of them are uh, actually informative. And then I write each and every week for card. Kingdom. Uh, If you like Yawgmoth and you are maybe like the idea of Yawgmoth and a little intimidated by it, I highly, highly suggest going to read this article. I spent a lot of time breaking it down into simplest terms as possible to explain everything from how the combo works to why your deck is playing these certain cards. And I think that is a huge uh, point there. So make sure to check out those as well. And that's basically where you can find me.
1: Do you have a favorite magic card of all time?
0: My favorite magic card of all time is Tanglewire. Oh sick. sick.
1: <laughs> Love yeah, I don't me get to play it very much. Tangle Love yeah. me some Tanglewire. That's a that's a good one. Tangle mm-hmm. should be in every deck. Yeah. There should be every every deck can make use of Tanglewire from one of the worst magic sets ever printed, actually. And uh a set the first set that I ever bought multiple booster boxes of, because I was like <laughs> I was like, Dope, I can buy booster boxes, Romanian <laughs> Masks, Nemesis and Prophecy. These are all gonna be so good. And then you look back and you're like, wow, these are like the worst sets ever printed. These are like there's like just <laughs> all trash in these sets. You He's got comically like a, unlucky. <laughs> yeah, you got you got like mm-hmm. like the best card in all three sets is probably Ristic Study. I would think between all three of them, Days Tangle Wire Port. Uh, yeah, Port. That's a really good one. Uh, there's like something in Pro. Oh yeah, Ristic Study we talked about. There's like a couple other cards, but Brainsport? yeah, pretty. No, no, Brainstorm was uh was from was from Ice Age originally. Oh, my bad. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Same, yeah, same yeah. time period, but. Ristic yeah, yeah. tutor um, Tudor. <laughs> Say less. <laughs> some fire. There's some fire in there. Um, guys, that's going to wrap up the episode this week. We will be back uh, next week. I think Alex is probably out for a couple weeks. So let's all wish him the best uh, as a new father. I'm sure he's getting less sleep than. Uh, than he used to get, and um, a big congrats to him, Mason. Thank you so much for coming on the show, talking with me about Pioneer today, guys. Get excited! The first pro, the first pro tour back is going to be Pioneer. Um, I'm excited to see how this develops and as it continues to, to to play out. I just I just can't wait to see what happens with it. So. Um, you guys can find everything I'm doing at Ben Bateman Media. As you know, I have been on TikTok a lot lately talking about movies. I got a shadow ban, which has been very unfortunate, um, which bummed me out. <laughs> I'm in the middle of it. So hopefully by the time you guys hear this, it has lifted, but it has ruined my account. It has absolutely just cut the legs out of it, which sucks. Um, but all that being said, I'll still be on there. So... <laughs> um all right guys that's gonna wrap it up mason thank you and i will see you guys next week this has been a production of time traveler media sending podcasts into the future